All right. We're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. Yes, we're back. Transmitting from an undisclosed location in the concrete canyons of Manhattan, New York City. This is the Mars Magazine Podcast. My name's Adario Strange, and wow, it's been a long time. We took a little uh, hiatus, and I think that it bears some uh, explanation. But first, we'll explain what we're going to dive into this episode, and that is the trailer for the epic, the new epic from Steven Spielberg, which is Ready Player One. Now, that's not coming out until 2018, But they just released a pretty long trailer at Comic-Con, and so we're going to get into that a little bit. And uh, later, we're going to talk to Brooks Brown, the global director of VR for Starbreeze. Starbreeze is the maker of the Star VR headset, which has the widest field of view and is uh, in IMAX VR uh, arcades or location-based VR centers in L.A. and New York. They created – well, they – partnered with um, the studio to create the John Wick experience, uh, the new Tom Cruise Mummy VR experience, both of which I experienced. They're incredible. So we're going to talk to Brooks Brown about all that, the future of VR, AR, and Hollywood in general. We talked to him in Hollywood at their uh, Beverly Hills offices. But first, a little kind of a recap. What's been going on with uh, Mars Magazine and myself? So in general, just uh, I I took a deep dive into VR. And it's really time intensive. I just really got caught up in VR. And specifically, uh, I think that started, well, I've been into VR for some time, but it really started to kind of ramp up when I went to the VRLA conference in April. And uh, that was in Los Angeles. It was a huge event. All the big players were there, uh, Oculus, Facebook's Oculus, you know, Samsung with uh, the HTC Vive. Uh, or rather, um, HTC Vive and Samsung were there. Intel, a lot of the big game studios. It was a huge event. And during that event, I got to meet some of the big players in VR that I don't usually get to talk to. It was it was an incredible event, and it really kind of spoke to what's going on in the industry, the health of the industry, the, in- the interest in the industry. And I don't know, with that, I think we should maybe get into some of the discussions of what has been happening in general with VR? But first, oh, wait, I'm, I'm moving too far ahead. So first, uh, while, while I was in L.A., I had a chance to go to the IMAX VR facility, uh, which is right next to the Grove, if you live in L.A. or you visit L.A. frequently. And I didn't announce my you know arrival. I didn't set up anything special with IMAX. I just came as a regular customer. I think it was like a Sunday. Or actually, no, it was a Thursday. Uh, around three, two, three p.m., and I was shocked. There was a, it was middle of the day, regular you know weekday, and it was just a steady stream of customers coming in. And again, I just want to stress, I made no prearranged plans to come there. This was just like a cold test of like, okay, what's going on? Is this you know, is there any interest in this VR you know arcade or facility? And there was a lot. And since then, that was like a few months ago. That was back back in April. Since then, IMAX has also opened a facility here in New York, um, which is embedded inside of an AMC theater. So when you walk into the AMC theater, I think it's on 31st Street on the east side. When you walk into the theater, 
right off to the side, there's this fairly large VR complex where you can walk in and purchase a separate uh, experience ticket just to dive into VR. And that was insane. That was incredible. Very well done. Very professional, uh, hygienic. You know, they, they clean all the, the, you know, the gear and everything. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, also had a chance to go to another independent uh, VR facility called VR World, which is right around the corner from the Empire State Building in Midtown Manhattan. And that's a huge facility. They have like 50 headsets. Um, they're using mobile and high-end VR. So they're using the um, Samsung Gear VR. They're using the Oculus Rift and they're using the Vive. And they have like several floors. I think there's like three different floors. Uh, it's all laid out almost like a nightclub. There's a bar. It was really cool. Now, the event I went to was kind of like a, a launch event. So I don't know if that's indicative. I don't think that's indicative of how they're really going to do. But for that launch event and for maybe special events in the future, it was a pretty cool uh, situation. And, and they were it was very well done. Everything was laid out very well. So that's kind of like my VR arcade experience. I, I got the feeling from my IMAX experience and like some of the stuff I've, you know, facilities I've been going to, I'm starting to get the feeling that may be the near term viable future for VR in terms of revenue, profit, you know, what can you really, you know, how can you really get traction with VR with the mainstream? And that leads me to the news from Oculus. So Oculus has kind of had a rocky road. And I feel like um, we can't talk about Oculus without talking about the founder, Palmer Lucky, who is now out. Uh, the lawsuit that Oculus went through recently where they lost and they, uh, I think the, the judgment was something in the, on the range of 500 million. Uh, they're, they're, I think they're appealing that. There, there just has, there's just been like a cloud over Oculus. And we should also talk about Facebook. Facebook also has kind of like a, a history with regard to people, how people see them with privacy, their approach to dealing with users. So it's kind of like this general cloud. But the problem is the Oculus Rift is a pretty damn good product. And the company's uh, putting out great software and they're partnering with studios that are putting out good software. So it's this really weird situation where there's this kind of cloud of bad press, bad events that have happened. But the product itself and the small community around the Oculus is pretty, you know, it's a pretty passionate community. It's a small community, but it's a pretty passionate community. Um, so now they recently dropped the price. They have this summer of rift sale where they dropped the price to 400 bucks. And of course, that immediately brought people out with their whatever blog posts or tweets or whatever think pieces saying, OK, this is kind of like. This, this sounds like Oculus is failing. This sounds like they are, you know, maybe desperate to sell these units, so on and so forth. I, I think that's not invalid. There are, there are some ways to look at it from that lens, but there's another way to think of it as, okay, this brings it to price parity with the PlayStation VR headset. And they're, you know, and just adjusting your price in general is not necessarily an indication that you're failing. Um, that price, by the way, is only for, I think, the summer, and for six weeks, and then it's going to be raised to a new reduced price. Like they, the first reduction, it was initially the headset plus the touch controllers was uh, 800 all in. Then they lowered the whole, the combination package to six to 600. And now it's going to be 500. So you'll be able to get the full package for 500. And that doesn't include your VR ready computer, which I, I found one. You know, I keep hearing this stuff about, oh, you need to, you know, spend fifteen hundred, maybe two thousand. I found a VR ready computer for five hundred fifty bucks. 
So, you know, all in, I didn't, I think I spent 1200 bucks for my Oculus setup. So do with that what you will. But, you know, Oculus is having, you know, the, 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 the bad press. Also, they closed down their story studio. That was a hugely negative look because I think they got an Emmy nomination. I can't remember if they won or not. You know, it was a, a very talented team working at the Oculus Story Studio. They shuttered that. So there is some doubt out there about the prospects of high-end VR when the biggest company promoting it, because Oculus, backed by Facebook, is bigger than HTC Vive, the, the chief rival. When the biggest company promoting it isn't having that much success in terms of penetrating the mainstream, there is some questions about the viability of high-end VR. But you know, the jury's still out. Um, the executives at, at VR, at VR, at Oculus keep, uh, you know, posting blog posts and writing tweets saying, oh, we have new releases coming for 2018 and 2019 and, you know, things are looking good and, you know, we're, we're you know, fighting the good fight. Okay, that sounds all good. I, I, I don't see many plans for Oculus to do location-based stuff. I mean, I'm sure if you're someone who wants to start a VR arcade, you can just, you know, buy the headsets or maybe try to get a bulk deal. But I haven't heard much from them in the way of like partnerships or, you know, trying to foster that uh, that space. So we'll see. Um, on the other hand, HTC Vive, which in my view is a great device, but bulky, a little heavy. And I don't know. I feel it's kind of in terms of setup and just regular use. It's a little wonky for your regular user. Uh, developers love it because the um, platform is more open uh, you know, it's just it's just a more open environment if you're a developer. So I get why that's why developers love it. And that's why it's popular in that community. And just if you're just someone who doesn't like closed systems or maybe you have a problem with Facebook, the owner of Oculus, I can see why you go for the Vive. But personally, it just doesn't like until they change the design, get lighter, uh, get cheaper. To me, it's just it doesn't seem like a viable you know, alternative if you have a cheaper, you know, just as good. And I hear the whole thing about tracking. We've talked about that on the Mars podcast before. We're not going to get into that, but I don't, you know, I don't think it's a problem. Um, also, now the software update in Oculus allow, allows you to add a third sensor so you can get full, well, or what some people believe is room scale. So that's Oculus. Let's see what else happened. Oh, speaking of Oculus, um, they are a partner in a new Marvel. Well, see, here's another thing. So now you have all these skeptics about VR and to a lesser extent AR, but primarily skeptics with regard to VR. But all this VR stuff is coming out. Like I said, um, Ready Player One, that trailer just came out. Uh, but just in terms of real VR, we just had Mar Marvel Powers United. VR come out. And that is, you know, Marvel Comics and Oculus. And, you know, just it's a game. It's a full, fully realized game. You can be the Hulk, Rocket Raccoon, uh, Captain Marvel and Deadpool. And they're going to announce more characters in the coming months. And like comic book movies, comic book content is king right now. And so that I mean, this is I feel like that's almost kind of like the Hail Mary. Like if people don't glom on to Marvel Powers United, right when we're at the height of superhero movie popularity. If they don't glom onto that in VR, then there may be a real problem. So we'll let, let's stay tuned for that. But uh, Disney just released their augmented reality headset, which is a collaboration with Lenovo. And you can basically just, uh, it's like a lightsaber training game. And they also showed off something that looks like kind of the Star Wars chess game that you see on the Millennium Falcon, I think, in like uh, the very first Star Wars movie. Um, so 
VR is still around. It's still being developed. There's still a lot of activity around it from the major studios. Dunkirk, the big war movie that just uh, was released, they had a big VR experience around what they're doing. So Hollywood still believes in VR. And, I, you know, as much as AR, augmented reality, is getting kind of like a lot of the press with regard to, you know, popularity with the mainstream and will it have a better chance and all that, I think it will, but it's for a different use case. If you want immersion and fully, you know, kind of like I want to transport myself to, a, to another world, you don't want to see your bedroom or the streets in front of you with an overlaid image. You want immersion, which is what VR provides. And that's why I think Hollywood is obsessed with VR. So speaking of that, Ready Player One. I live here in Columbus, Ohio. In 2045, it's still ranked the fastest growing city on Earth. But it sure doesn't seem like it when you live in the stacks. They called our generation the missing millions. Missing not because we went anywhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere except the Oasis. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. A world where the limits of reality are your own imagination. The trailer for the 2018 movie directed by Steven Spielberg, based on the novel of the same name. I have to say, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the book, which is not popular when I talk to my VR uh, centric friends who, you know, many of them seem to love the book. I wasn't a great fan of the book, but the trailer looks pretty damn good. There were, um, and just like the book, they, they had like all these references embedded in it. You had like, you know, the Akira motorcycle, you had uh, Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, you had the uh, Back to the Future car. I mean, there was like a lot of like pop culture, 80s references, like in the film that just, oh, uh, giant robot. Uh, all the references in the film really kind of made it seem like, okay, they did their best to hew closely to the book, which is all about people in VR, just to explain the premise of the book. Uh, basically, VR has taken off in this fictional world. <laughs> in this fictional world, VR has taken off. And uh, one of the creators of a major platform in VR has created a game in which uh, to find the ultimate, I guess, jewel or, or, or prize in the game, you have to convert or immerse yourself in old school nostalgia, 80s, 70s. I guess, to some extent, 90s nostalgia, pop culture nostalgia. And so the book is like littered with all of this, you know, pop culture reference, all these pop culture references, and it's all in VR. And the trailer looks good. The CG, I have to say, some of the characters look like maybe it's a half step, maybe 75% step back from what we, like the best of what we are seeing now with uh, movies like... um, Planet of the Apes and, you know, that kind of thing, um, Avatar, but it looked good enough. And also this is a trailer, an early trailer, so maybe it'll look better in the final version. But um, I, I think the thing that really stood out to me was, okay, so I often talk to people who have never tried high-end VR. Maybe they've been at a party and someone gave them Google Cardboard or they gave them like a, or they had the chance to try the Gear VR, which has gotten better, by the way, in recent months. But basically it's it's still not like, high-end, six degrees of freedom, just fully immersive VR. 
So I've been looking at this and I've been wondering, okay, will Ready Player One be the film that takes VR or helps take take VR mainstream? When this comes out, will this finally be kind of like the catalyst, the, the, the match, the spark that gets people, mainstream people who aren't techies, to finally go, okay, what the hell is actually available? Can I do any of this stuff that I'm seeing on the screen? Which, by the way, you can. That's the thing, like... It's not the Matrix yet. The real real VR is not the Matrix yet. But some of the stuff I was seeing on the screen, I feel, yeah, there are absolutely experiences that are similar to some of the things that you see on that screen. So that'll be the big question. The problem is, as we all know now, technology cycles move incredibly rapidly. So if, let's say, a year passes, which is what we're talking about because it doesn't come out until March of 2018 – a year from now in technology span, in the technology time span, that could be like anything could be happening. The VR market could have already crashed. AR may have taken over or VR may have hit some, you know, maybe there was some killer app, some game or, or some experience that finally took off. And maybe by the time this movie actually comes out, it'll just be you know, whatever. It's like, oh yeah, we already know VR is awesome, meaning the mainstream. Yeah, we know VR is awesome. And this movie maybe isn't even, you know, convincing me of anything because we already know now because a year has passed and these developments have happened. I think that's like kind of like the optimistic scenario, to be honest, because uh, the fact that you still need a high-end PC to run the high-end equipment, uh, we still haven't seen or used. I haven't tested the uh, tetherless headsets that they're coming out with. Um, Google had an event recently where they showed off some Daydream View uh, tetherless headsets that they're developing with some partners, one of those partners being HTC. Facebook and Oculus, they have a tetherless device, you know, no high-end PC. I'm assuming no high-end PC needed in that case. So these devices without like a, a cord connected to a high-end PC, they're coming. And the prices will probably be somewhat competitive, but it it sounds like those devices aren't going to come until the end of the year. So then that puts us six months, you know, before Ready Player One comes out. So this is all very, I feel like basically the VR industry is treading water. And a lot of people who have invested their time and passion, and let me tell you, there's a lot of passion out there and with good reason. Once you truly experience some something like Google Earth VR, or some of the games like um, Echo Arena, which just came out for the Oculus, which is insane. It is amazing. Um, Or the game that I was obsessed with for some time. I'm I'm still obsessed with it, but less so now, uh, The Unspoken, which is basically like Doctor Strange in VR. You become like a wizard, a sorcerer, uh, or sorceress. Um, Some of these immersive games, they have stoked a lot of passion in developers and in end users, but... In general, the VR industry is treading water, which brings me to the next and last topic uh, before we get into our interview with Brooks Brown from Star VR, which is Apple and AR Kit. Next, I'd like to turn to AR. Now, with multi-touch, we've really changed the way that you interact with the world on the screen of your iPhone. And with the camera, we've allowed you to capture the world around you. But when you bring these things together, the results can actually be quite profound. Now, it's called augmented reality, and we have a new core technology called AR Kit to bring it to all of you. And I'd like to show it to you in a demo now. 
So we've all seen a lot of carefully edited vision videos on this topic recently, but in this case, I'd like to show you something for real. So what we see here is an iPhone that's look, using its camera, but using vi computer vision, it's actually able to identify surfaces such as this table, and I can actually just add an object. This is a developer application, a test application that you'll all be getting code for that allows you to do these things. Now, this is just a virtual object on this table. Now, got some, some steam in there coming off the cup. Now, I can add other objects to the scene, and these things can actually interact. Let's add a lamp. And I want you to watch when I turn the lamp up on the dynamic shadows here. I'm going to move the cup and watch how the shadow moves in relationship to the light here. It's really pretty incredible. Now, so Apple released AR Kit uh, in the last few months, or not released it, they announced it and seeded the developer community with AR Kit. And in short, AR Kit is a platform for developing augmented reality apps for iOS. So that would mean the iPhone and iPad tablets. So what you do is you're not using a headset. There's no glasses. There are no AR glasses. But what you do is you hold your iPhone up to the real world and you can look through your iPhone as though it's a window and you can see the real world and you can see objects in their true dimensions. Let's say a glass on a table or a virtual table. And you can see these real or these virtual objects placed in the real world. You can walk around them and you can interact with them through the iPhone. And it's, it's amazing. It's great. If this was a product that was delivered through glasses, we would, I think we would definitely have the next iPhone, basically. That, that's how amazing some of this augmented reality footage looks uh, that's been developed for AR Kit. So I see an explosion uh, in a good way, an explosion happening for Apple uh, via AR Kit and the apps that people are developing. We've already seen, if you just go online right now and search, you'll see tons of amazing demos of AR apps that people have developed with AR kit for the iPhone that are incredible, you know, placing furniture in the real world, um, driving a Tesla in your real driveway where the Tesla actually looks like it's really in your driveway and there, the lights turn on and it, you know, it just, you can walk around it. So some of the, so this stuff looks amazing. The real question will be applications like beyond furniture apps, you know, okay, I'm going to use this AR app to place virtual furniture in my home to kind of decorate it before I actually go through the heavy lifting of doing the real work. But beyond that kind of stuff, you know, what will be the applications? Will it be in tourism? Will it be in museums? Will it be at banks? Will there be some transactional uh, money oriented, you know, activity with AR using AR kit that all remains to be seen. That is up to the developers and to the businesses backing this stuff, but we're about to see an explosion and it's going to take, uh, I think a lot of steam, a lot of attention away from VR, but I don't know, in my view, they're two different platforms. They're two different experiences. So I don't, I don't really mix the two. I think because you can develop, uh, using unity, uh, you know, for both platforms or two like unity, you know, unreal engine, uh, you can develop these virtual objects for applications in VR and AR. I think because, and because these things are, a lot of these things are uh, virtual objects, people kind of confuse the two as having some sort of competition between the two platforms. I don't think there's any competition. I think they're completely, two different, completely different use cases. So that said, stay tuned. You're about to see a huge explosion of 
augmented reality via the iPhone. Problem is, though, when you have a bunch of people, just think about how annoying it is when someone takes a selfie in the middle of a crowded street, right? They're trying to get the right framing. They're trying to see themselves and the building behind them or the people behind them. And they're oblivious to people around them. Same thing when someone's walking down the street texting. They're kind of oblivious with, you know, walking off of an elevator, walking up steps. They're oblivious. And they almost expect you to, like, hop out of their way. Now, ratchet that up by basically a hundredfold because now you're going to have a bunch of people focusing on the tiny screen on their iPhone or iPad, but usually an iPhone, walking in public places, engaging with virtual objects, generally oblivious to, you know, okay, these pedestrians need to go go back and forth, or maybe I'm walking in the traffic trying to follow this virtual object. I mean, these stories are going to happen, you know, people like accidents happening. When we saw the big explosion with Pokemon Go about a year ago, uh, things like that, you had people, you know, going uh, trespassing on private property to engage with virtual objects, you know, things that like, really had no value other than just in their own minds or just in, within a game. Um, this is going to happen with AR kit and with augmented reality objects. So prepare yourself. That's about to happen. It's going to be crazy. Uh, and I think, I don't know, it, it'll, it depends a lot on the developers and the best practices on how to place virtual objects in the real world as to, how dangerous or how beneficial some of this stuff will be in real world use. And when I say dangerous, it might sound like I'm kind of like overstating it or I'm kind of, you know, hyping things up. Trust me, people have hurt themselves taking selfies. People have hurt themselves and gone to the hospital texting and walking um, to say nothing of texting and driving, but texting and walking. People have hurt themselves. there. You can just go on YouTube right now and say texting accident, uh, texting and walking accident. You'll see the many accidents. So just Ratchet that up by 100 and imagine when people are trying to do something as simple as texting or looking at a static picture. But now they're going to be trying to engage these virtual objects in the real world, focusing on this tiny screen and not paying attention to their surroundings in many cases. That's going to cause some problems. So I'm excited about AR. I'm just a little concerned about some of the perils therein. And with that, let's go ahead and move on to our conversation with Brooks Brown, the global director of VR for Starbreeze VR in his offices in Beverly Hills in Los Angeles, California. Enjoy. This is Dario Strange here with Brooks Brown, global director of VR at Starbreeze Studios. And I just tried John Wick, uh, the VR experience on the Starbreeze uh, headset and environment. Uh, I actually got to play a level that um, I think the public hasn't seen yet. Yeah, we, we showed it a little bit off at uh, BRLA this last yeah. weekend, and it's going to be in uh, arcades sort of uh, scattered around the world uh, pretty quick here. And so, okay, so yes, yeah, so I should just give some background. So I'm here at the VRLA. Well, I came here uh, in part for the VRLA conference, virtual reality conference here in Los Angeles. I think this is year two for it. It was a very... Year three. Year three? Say. Year three. Okay, year three. And uh, very well attended, huge crowds, uh, lots of excitement. But a couple of days before the conference, I actually just took it upon myself to just mosey on over to the IMAX VR uh, facility uh, in the Grove uh, section of L.A. It's kind of like, a, I guess, like a little shopping center kind of swank area. And that's where IMAX has its VR facility. So I just walked in impromptu and just tried everything out. And not only was the experience amazing, but... 
there was a steady flow of traffic. It was amazing. And so one of, and so I bring all that up to say one of the experiences in the IMAX facility is the John Wick experience via the Starbreeze headset. So now, is this your first, like, is the IMAX facility your first big kind of commercial public-facing situation? It is. We went to uh, IMAX uh, some time ago because um, we've been chatting with them about what we were doing in VR. We early on made it very clear we only wanted to do location-based VR. So they, and they're in that business, and they were like, how about we do this? And we said, how about we do it? So uh, we have a couple of pods in there that are uh, Starbreeze headsets and our content with John Wick. And it has been uh, pretty amazing to be a little bit vindicated. A lot of people were very skeptical of the arcade business. Uh, but by opening this first pilot center, MX has really shown, uh, you know, that there is an absolute market for landowners who want to, you know, buy a few headsets, stick them in somewhere and get people coming in. It's been amazing to watch. We had uh, two of the pods are next to each other. And it's really fun to sort of sit there during the day and watch you know, these people who either are hardcore VR enthusiasts, we get a few of those, uh, but then we also get some absolutely crazy first-timers who are just excited to try it. And so, you know, the ability for us to have on one side a 80-year-old guy with this cochlear implant uh, who's a little hunched over, and you can obviously not a technophile, we'll just say. Uh, and he's shooting and mowing down bad guys, and then the pod right over, facing him, doing the same thing as this, like, 8-year-old girl. So just really cool to watch all of these people come in and, you know, experience VR first time and see, have that, that magic moment, which I think is, you know, what got all of us interested in doing VR was the first time we put on a headset or saw, Oh my God, this might be real. Right. Oh my God. And I should mention, so I didn't get to try the uh, John Wick experience at IMAX because guess what? It was book solid for hours. No joke. Like I'm not. I'm not just saying this. It was book solid for hours. And so actually, after I had my experience, I walked around the facility, and I, you know, they call the little areas pods. They're not actually pods. They're just like square areas for VR experiences. And I went to one pod, and I did see an older man playing John Wick, and he was crouched over, and he was like striking like badass poses, and. I went to another area and there was like a family. It was like it was a mom and a dad and a daughter. And then like right next to them, there was another three-person family. And it really a blew. A lot of uh, date nights too. Yeah, I, I could I could see that. And it really actually okay. I should mention this. I uh, a lot of people will probably won't know these names, but um, just as I was about to leave, two celebrities were coming in to experience VR. Tisha Campbell. And Dwayne Martin. Now, people who are TV, yeah, these are, yeah, trust me, these are celebrities. He, he's giving, he's giving me a look. They are. If you're, <laughs> they, no, they're, they're, if you're they're, over the age of 30, they're Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So if you know uh, Martin Lawrence, um, the guy who's co-starred with uh, Will Smith in a couple of big action films, Martin Lawrence, used, he got his start on TV uh, with a, t- a comedy show called Martin. And on that show, uh, Tisha Campbell uh, was one of the stars. And Dwayne Martin has had, like, a bunch of, you know, film roles. So two kind of, you know, I guess B-level celebrities, but nevertheless celebrities. And in the middle of the day, they showed up, and it was a date night. It was a VR date night or date day. And uh, so it's really, I think the, re- the thing that really surprised me was, like, this was organic. I just walked in off the street, and things were popping. Mm-hmm. And I just talked to them. I didn't do, like, a kind of journalism interview or whatever. I just asked them kind of casually, like, how's sales like how are things going and they said something to the effect i could be getting this wrong i think they said they reached their one they reached their three-month goal in one month is a bit ago we announced that uh, fifteen thousand people had come through yeah uh and you know we're excited having that 
you know, the top experience there is really amazing for us as well. It's, again, one of the reasons we went the direction we did by making sure that our own headset existed and making it, uh, we'll say, a little bit over the top. Uh, it's, it's, we did things that weren't totally necessary, but we believed helped deliver on that magic. The, well, well, for instance, what do you mean over oh, the top? Uh, so we've got uh, our headset versus others. Uh, other headsets are sub-2K resolution. We're at 5K. Uh, other headsets have a field of view that's very similar to, uh, people call it binoculars uh, or horse blinders, uh, a lot of different things. Uh, our headset has a field of view that's actually full left to right, so 210 degrees. So it's actually full peripheral vision, which as you just experienced in John Wick and some yeah. other games, gives us a chance to really play with people. You saw me testing that out. I with did, and I saw you get scared when you saw the guy around the back. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Everyone does. It's, 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 you can't help it because uh, in your peripheral vision, it activates your lizard brain. Right, right. And there's right. nothing. You're a human. You you're totally could be cognizant of it. We have a, another experience where we have spiders jumping. Oh, I, no, I don't I, need to see that. And one. I know... Yeah. I know spiders can't hurt me. I know they're not real, right. but it genuinely makes your skin crawl. Like right, just, right. It's an awful feeling. So right. it's really fun for us to be able to play with that. Uh, and we're doing new stuff to the headset all the time. We've announced we're doing eye tracking. Okay. Uh, so we can do some fun things. You know, on the engineering side, uh, my the engineers are super excited about foveated rendering, which means we only have to render at high quality the thing you're specifically looking at so we can save a ton of CPU and GPU. Right. Sure, that's great. Uh, for me, on the content side of things, I'm more excited to be able to find out what you're looking at and how you feel about it emotionally. And then really up that tension. There's a fantastic Black Mirror episode that I was just, like, after it was started, I was, like, screaming out. Oh, like, wait, which one? Are you talking about the one where he goes to the house? Yeah, and okay. the, the guy puts him in the virtual world. Right, the right. The horror right. game. Right, right, that right. It gets right. worse and worse that's and worse based on yeah. his reactions. Yeah. We, we can do very similar things, not quite as hardcore as making you... And no spoilers right, right, as right. what happens in that. But uh, the ability, if we know that you're scared of spiders, I can tell your pulse jumps, your eye widens, right. and that you were looking at the spiders versus looking at the troll or the golem or the ghost or whatever it may be. So now what you brought up foveated rendering, and that is, I think, for a lot of people, that seems to be like one of these milestones. That, now, how like is that something coming? Is like How far along are you guys uh, on that? Everyone, I think, is at about the same point. Everyone's okay. got experimental versions of it, and everyone's really hoping it's one of the next big breakthroughs. And there's a, there's a bunch of breakthroughs that everyone's hoping come within the next, you know, six to nine months. Uh, okay. But, you know, we have some very talented engineers uh, who've been building engines and crazier stuff for a very long time. So it's really fun to watch them work. Less exciting to actually literally watch them work, actually. <laughs> it's fun to watch the results of their work. Right. And just to get one more technical thing out of the way, I didn't actually look at your system for tracking. Is it inside out? Are there uh, no, no, lighthouses no. of some kind? Of, of, of sorts. So the way it works is uh, we use uh, uh, phase space. Okay. Uh, phase space is a tracking technology that's prom commonly been used in movie, movie motion capture. Okay. Uh, and the cameras on the outside follow the LEDs that are on the headset or the gun or other peripherals or on your body, wherever they may be. Gotcha. We can track a ton of them at extremely high rates, uh, far, far exceeding most of the stuff out there. Uh, and that is how we read the information. So it finds the, it's a really confusing process. Someone smarter than me can probably describe pretty easily. But uh, we use, it's a fairly traditional tracking solution. We're looking into all sorts of tracking. It's for us, uh, the way we look at it, Rather than trying to build towards a singular creative goal, oh, we want to do VR for X, that's what we're doing. It's much more for us about creating a tool set hmm. uh, that 
people who can come to us and they're like, they they have an idea or they have a game or they have a movie or they have something and they go, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And we can go, here are the tools we have and they can pick and choose and, you know, make sure that it works best for their experience. It's very important to us. And before we get too geeky with the VR, I kind of want to pull back and kind of talk about your background in entertainment. Mm -hmm. I think we talked earlier uh, a couple days ago and you were saying you worked with James Cameron. I did. I I worked on uh, the upcoming Avatar films in the the larger franchise uh, with uh, some very, very talented, smart people, Kathy Franklin, John Lando, the producer and uh, producer of Avatar and the head of Lightstorm franchise. And I uh, was very fortunate to be kind of part of that world building strategy, storytelling section of that whole thing that everyone will get a chance to see at some point in the future. Did that for about four years. And then prior to that, I was at Lucas, uh, Lucasfilm and LucasArts, depending on the week, depending on how my yeah. paycheck was being. I always cash. get that mixed up, actually. Uh, well, yeah. LucasArts was part of Lucasfilm, but also not, is all fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I jumped between the two, and there I got to do a number of different things from, uh, you know, my favorite moments were leading game teams or sitting alongside some visionaries uh, sort of discussing game theory. Uh, Clint Hawking, Fred Marcus, Matthias Forge, Celia Hoden. So it's stunning. Uh, Kent, some amazing people. I've uh, been very lucky to sort of do that. Uh, but then I also built a lot of web and social games. So uh, LEGO Star Wars 3 uh, is kind of my... Crowning achievement while I was there it was a one Webby for best online game and a whole bunch of awards. So it was really fun to work on. So I've, I've my life has been about uh, basically video games, but more about how do we let people explore the worlds they like. So it's all I've ever enjoyed doing, from you know mobile titles to console to PC to now VR. How do you let someone live in a world? Hmm. And uh, I was fortunate to work on some of the people who've done it the best. And now that we're you know, moving forward in what VR is, being able to bring that knowledge to bear is pretty amazing. So uh, now you just, you probably are aware that um, Ridley Scott made his announcement the other day that he's kind of opening this dedicated VR, AR studio. Did you hear about this? Mm-hmm. So I mean, do you think this is like a trend in Hollywood for like people like him? And I guess I, I would put actually James Cameron probably is like orders of magnitude higher than any other f- filmmaker, of course, with regard to like special effects and pushing the technology. But I mean, do you think this is going to become a trend with VR in terms of I filmmaking? Think, I think, um, you know, it's, I'd, I'd like to say yes. I think a, a more realistic side to it is, uh, you know, everyone gets very excited when new technology comes out. The Xbox 360, we saw a lot of filmmakers say, oh, I'm jumping right into console development. Uh, I remember that. You're right. It yeah. was a huge deal. And then the Wii came along and, you know, Spielberg was going to do a dozen games. Right. And, right. and all of these things, it, it tends to follow trends. One of the big problems that tends to be the reason that curtails is that you don't have an actual pipeline for those people who are used to creating a certain way to create something. So if, you know, Ridley wants to create a world, VR is not the same medium as film by nature. And I can go into the wonky nerd side right. of film crit. But that's not how VR works. Right. And, uh, you know, and Jim, even himself, uh, James Cameron, he, he did interviews when he talked about this. You know, the reality is VR doesn't allow someone to direct. VR is good for people who can build worlds. And then you need designers and people who can understand how to build interactions. There's a lot of different ways to do that. So everyone's diving in. But the big difficulty we have is there's not a lot of work being done in the pipeline. How do you, how do you make something for VR? Uh, and again, it's, it's uh, last year we purchased a company called Nozone out of Brussels. They have this technology called Presence, which I need to show you as well while you're okay. here. And Presence uh, allows us to take film quality CG, uh, you know, the stuff that's made commonly for almost every movie, 
Uh, and the, the difficulty is those assets are extremely high res. They don't, you can't use them in a video game. They end up needing to be down resed or someone uses them and basically copies them in Maya. It, you, you have to basically beg your way when you're building games with that stuff. Uh, but the way Nozone works, we can actually utilize a lot of those assets. We can create VR experiences directly with those film assets. So as we start finding ways to bridge these pipelines and really utilize what exists right now, mm. uh, we're not going to change the, you know, the industry in a day. Uh, you know, someday film industry people will be using Epic and Unreal Engine for their their middleware. Well, That'd they, be great. That's actually what I've been thinking because I'm, I, you know, I see like situations like Lord of the Rings where they build these elaborate worlds that exist on computers, and it seems like that's all a waste. I mean, it, or or at least well, currently, it does fine in theaters. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I mean, no, like all the stuff from the Avatar. repurposing yes. opportunities. It's very difficult, and it's and there's a, there's a million reasons for that, but. You know, one of the biggest is that you have the need in film to make things that are absolutely realistic, whereas on console and PC, that's secondary. You need something that's very, very interactive and interesting. Uh, you know, a great example, speaking of Lord of the Rings, is the Shadow of Mordor series. It doesn't even use assets directly from the film. It's built around it, and it's a brilliant way to take that creative and turn it into what is it, a phenomenal game. Totally worth playing, by the way. As you start, like, looking into how these things are set up and what these filmmakers really want to do... They're, the need to really build that pipeline and have the tool set that enables them to do these things is very, very important. Otherwise, uh, you're going to end up with some very, very mediocre type things. So now, just to pull back on the Hollywood meets VR thing, I mean, I'm just seeing tons of money being at least discussed with regard to films. Everyone in Hollywood or a lot of people in Hollywood seem excited about this. I mean, yeah, we've been here before on some level. Some people compare it to, like, the 3D movement, you know, 3D film movement. You brought up the Wii and, you know, Xbox. I mean, what do you, like, is there something, is there anything different about what's happening now that makes you think, well, this might be different? Or I mean, are the variables essentially the same and it's just a matter of development? Uh, the, the big difference here is that you have a lot of industries converging in a single point. That doesn't commonly happen. 3D TVs, for example. Yes, there was some push by video game makers, but it wasn't every video game maker. Yes, there was some push by film studios, but they didn't do literally every movie in 3D. Um, whereas I think that's a big change now. You're talking about, you know, literal comic book companies, paperback comic book companies and book companies and music companies, film, uh, game, sports. Literally everyone can find an extension into VR. And so when you start having that kind of pressure from every angle, uh, the, the luck is that it ends up working out uh, rather than just being pressure in one place or two and some. Everyone sees the promise of VR pretty clearly. Uh, right now, it's a big race, again, to just actually get quality items made. The biggest worry we have is that, and this is a Starbreeze, because we're location-based, we know every time a person puts on that headset, our need is to make it magical because we're not making all of our money up front. Ours is a long-term play about getting you to come back with your family, getting you to come back for new experiences, other experiences, more expensive experiences. By the way, is this the only one, like, big title? Like, what What else is in... I, I, good try. Can't talk <laughs> about the other things that are in development. We have we have a number of other titles in development right now. Okay. okay. Uh, very exciting things. We're going to be talking more about those in the coming weeks. Mm -hmm. um, but they're, they're very broad and large demographic, but we believe they're all extremely high-quality versions of the things we're looking so, for. So this is the first and only for right now? Yes. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing. But well, we also something. have The Walking Dead. Okay, uh, yeah. Which, can you get into had, that? Like, well, we did a year and a half, two years ago. We had a 
Walking Dead wheelchair experience, basically. It's, you play an amputee who's gotten his leg bitten, so they cut it off. So you're getting wheeled around a hospital. Shocker, everyone dies. Uh, <laughs> okay. I know, I know. Walking Dead usually quite a piece. Is that no longer happy. available anyway? Or? Uh, uh, because we've updated the headset so much, we had right. to go back and we're rebuilding the game right okay. now. Okay. Um, it's one of those things that we're conf- basically we're hacking everything together to get to where we were. Now we're actually going through the, the process. It's really fascinating. Um, um, so when you, you guys, it, can you talk about any other partnerships? Cause to me, when I, when I heard about IMAX doing this, I got really excited because they have a reputation for doing kind of, I guess, like, you know, cinema plus, you know, like, like luxury premium experiences. Well, they don't just sell you a bill of goods and then you walk in there and you're like, what did I spend my money on? At least most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so this, I mean, this partnership is huge. Is there any, are you, is there any Disney theme park, any kind of, any you other have location? so many things that I'm sure I, <laughs> I, our, our wonderful investors who stalk me on Twitter. Hello, everyone. I'm sure they're going to find this and they would love to know all these things. And these are things we can't talk about right now, Okay. but there is absolutely that plan for us. We don't see, uh, we see what we're doing right now as essentially stage one, getting out there and learning this. Uh, before we jump to the place where we have, you know, VR land by Starbreeze and it's 60 million miles long. And there's all these, like it's ready player one in real life, Mm -hmm. which I think everyone has kind of at some level, the fantasy of bringing the matrix to the real world. Uh, We have a long way to go before we can even start that journey. And so we like to talk about the games we're doing right now uh, as building blocks. Very, very simple stuff. Like, let's say uh, if I was on console or PC, I wanted to do a fishing game. Uh, it's easy. There's a million different ways to configure controllers, or Xbox controllers, or move controllers in order to simulate a fishing mm-hmm. a fishing line and a pole. How do I do that in VR? And how do I do that in Star VR, where our goal is absolute immersion? Do I can't just do a stick? Haptic feedback doesn't really get the cross. You want someone to be able to feel the pull and the tug, and then really yank back. Well, how do you do that? That's a great question, and it's and it sounds like that would only solve one thing for fishing, but that gives us learnings that we can take into a lot of other places, as well as uh, let's say we want to make the boat turbulent. Right. Like, well, do we want to build a damn rowboat? Right. Do we need to then build that so it connects into, you know, whatever game engine we're using? Right. Uh, how do we do these building blocks? Because over time, once we get this first layer done, then we can start talking about those much more complex things. How does someone move around a 12 by 12 space or a larger space? Can they run? How does someone run in VR? Like, we don't... Have you ever run? Like, full out run? Well, you know, they have the um, that omnidirectional treadmill thing. No, I'm talking about, like, literally full out blast. Like, sprinted. Well, yeah. I've never seen anyone. Yeah, I haven't seen that. They had something at VRLA that was not what I'm talking about. It's something else where it was kind of like this tread. No, no, I saw it. Yeah, I don't know what it was called. Did you see anyone sprinting? No, no. I I mean, that's probably a little bit out. Yeah. Yeah, so it's these these things that almost sound hilariously simple. Right. Like, they're really important things that we've got to solve before we start doing some of these really complex, amazing things. So... We're starting small. We're building towards it. All these things we'll be able to talk about at some point. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of things for us to go through. It's pretty crazy. So to get philosophical, VR versus AR. This is the conversation mm-hmm. I hear all the time. At VRLA, they had this great um, installation um, by Microsoft and a couple of studios that partnered where they created an Easter egg, an, an augmented reality Easter egg hunt. Did you get a chance to see yes. this? So I, I went through there and they basically... I got quick. 
Yeah, well, I, I didn't know that was part of it. Was that where they part? They of were it? next door. I know they were next door. I didn't, I didn't know they had a part. It was of a it, very Easter themed day for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, they did have. Did you get the chocolate candy? So absolutely, totally a chocolate. I took a picture of it and then I devoured it. Yeah. It was amazing. Okay, that was um, my lunch. Yeah, and so I went through it, and for me, it was like the first time I've actually thought about this a lot, about an AR environment that's specifically constructed to kind of be married with the AR software. And it was the first time I saw this. I was really excited. And when I talked to people from Microsoft, not the other day, but like in the last few months, you know, when they've shown me HoloLens and we've talked about the future of AR and VR, I constantly hear this kind of idea from them that somehow augmented reality and virtual reality will merge or blend and you'll really just use augmented reality and reality will become virtual reality somehow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, I'm kind of a purist. I like, to me, they're completely two different islands, but I kind of, I, I feel like I constantly hear this comparison of the two and that there may be this merging of the two mixed reality. I mean, what do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, just this discussion that seems to constantly go on. Yeah. Um, I, I would look at them as far more intertwined than we think. Hmm. Uh, the the silver screen and the uh, tiny screen, the golden screen, whatever you may want to call it, uh, film and theater and home were once considered absolutely incompatible forms of art. Like they were genuinely different. You have TV for one thing and then you have movies for another. And I think we would laugh about that now. They, they've become very almost inextricably twi- intertwined. And I think the same is going to be true of AR and VR. I don't know what the mix is, but AR is, uh, to me, probably, and this is from a business perspective, AR is where the home market's going to end up. Uh, the ability for me to, in some way, dynamically play Minecraft that does make up my living room so I don't have to move my damn furniture, so my wife doesn't kill me because I've dedicated my entire living room to playing VR games, Uh I think that kind of thing has a much better opportunity to take off in a lot of places, not just America. I can't imagine a lot of people in China have an entire 12 by 12 space that they're willing to completely give up. So now wait, do you, are you saying that you think it will I, I think make VR, will VR obsolete at some for point? Home, for, for home. home. Okay. I think home VR is a long ways off. It's again, the reason we've chosen to go the direction we've gotten, uh, the, the tech and everything is very much there for what we want to do. Our men spec is, no such thing. We have a Mac spec because computers only go so fast. Right. Uh, a 1080 Ti is a weird min spec to give people. It's a very fast machine. Our headset's not the cheapest on the market. It's uh, you know quite the reverse. And we know that because for us, the ability for someone to come in and pay $10 versus someone to go in and pay 1000 or really 2500 in order to really play VR plus dedicated room and all these things, it's going to be very difficult for VR to really have significant home penetration. AR, though... AR is fascinating. AR is the kind of thing that it bleeds into your regular world. As we start getting to the place where the tech is working better, the recognition of depth and size and shape of objects is working better, we'll be able to do amazing things. So so your view, at least within, let's say, the next five to ten years, is that this home VR uh, group, mm-hmm. it, they're kind of like... We're enthusiasts. They're, they're real-to-real audiophile type of people. Yeah. They're, okay. I, I know where I sit in the, in the world of things. I'm the person who's, uh, I'm the person who's bought every dark souls game and bloodborne just because it was related to dark souls. Uh, I've spent, you know, 750 hours playing rust. I have a 2,800 hours in Dota two, and that's lower than my MMR. Like I, I know where I sit in the realm of a lot of this stuff. And I think a lot of VR people 
pretty clear that they do too. It's, you know, we're one of those people who are willing to be early adopters and test the shit out of the stuff and really dig in there. And I, I'll buy 10 VR games at the same time because I want one that's great. Right. Uh, that's not the average consumer. The average right. consumer buys a game, tries a game, and if it's not great, they're done. Uh, there's, If everyone remembers the Wii, the Wii is one of my cautionary tales I try to remember. Extraordinary console system. Had some amazing games on it. I adored it. I had a bunch of games for it. But that's because I'm me. The vast majority of people didn't actually buy a second game for it. Some of them bought a second game, and that was it. And And that kind of attach rate and that kind of adoption doesn't make for success in the long run. I don't know. Have you seen... It's, it's always hard to bring this kind of stuff up. There's a Vimeo video that is basically just a special effects-laden imagined universe yes. of AR. You've seen this. Yes. Awesome. Great. So... Well, do I've you, seen something, one of those things, yeah. It's, it's like... Um, I think it's by a Japanese it's guy. It's a little dystopian. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's the future for AR? I have I mean, no idea. I think that's I mean, how, it, when, that's when how you, we see it today. But when you imagine it, when you like, not necessarily you're banking on this, but like when you imagine if AR takes off and it, you know, gets the traction necessary. I, I think we're. I, I try not to speculate. Um, I, I remember never thinking that a phone would look like my iPhone. Right. And it's only been ten years. Oh, did you, I just just uh, be clear for the listeners. Um, the video, and I'll put a link to the video. The video is basically a guy walking down a busy city street and all of these kind of like 3D translucent images, uh, it, augmented reality images and figures pop up, uh, on every side. And a lot of them are advertisements, solicitations, and it's just very chaotic. And, uh, it just look, it just, it doesn't look very fun is, and that, which is why I brought it up. Yeah. And I think the way that, the way that they perceive that, I, I love that video, and I love I love anything dystopian, very Black Mirror, all of that stuff. But for me, I think you know, if you go back just eleven years, no one thought phones would look the way that they do, and uh, this is they are what made cell phones ubiquitous. Right. So, at, what is the thing we need to do with AR? You know, I, I I try to use movies as an example across the board, and I was given a talk. You know, my favorite example of how little we understand about VR can be summed up by how movies started for the first. 10 years they were around, you go to a movie house and it was 10 to 15 minutes and it was a flat image and it was basically like watching a play. Like that's really what it was. It was like watching a play. Not a lot of movement, very little editing, certainly no, you know, no major complex stories, very quick. And if you go from that to now, it's an extraordinary deviation. If you go back, this film came out called The Great Train Robbery. And they did this crazy thing where they moved the camera well, it was recording. Is this the silent film? It's called a dolly shot. Yeah. Okay. And everyone was very upset because it did. It, people will be disoriented. It's like no. It turns out actually now it's basically normal film language. Right. Editing. We have Dutch angles. We have all kinds of crazy shit. Hard cut, smash cuts, blends, star wipes. Uh, you know whatever Star Wars is doing this time around. There's a lot, there's a million amazing things that you can do. And that all stemmed no way in the first few years of film. They would guess that people would be sitting somewhere with glasses on watching blue people on another planet <laughs> for three hours. Right. And, like, it's it's insane concept. So we're, we're that far away from where AR and VR is going to be in probably ten years. It's a much shorter cycle for VR. Are you aware of what uh, Jim Cameron is doing with this um, physical uh, replica of Pandora? I think he's doing it with uh, Disney. Are you aware of this? Yeah, you mean 
Avatar Land? Yeah, Avatar Land. Yeah. yeah. Animal Kingdom? So, yes, I, I mean, like, you know, I don't want to, I mean, you know him personally, so maybe I'm giving him too much praise. I don't know, but I, I, I mean, I look at, I look at him as, like, someone who has led in terms of, like, you know, film, entertainment, and led Hollywood with technology. And I just look at him and I think, okay, is he setting us up for post-film? Meaning, okay, I'm just, I'm, I don't even need to go to a film. I'm just going to go to Avatar Land, or I'm going to go to Star Wars Land, or I'm going to go to, you know, Lord of the Rings Land. Well, I, I, I don't want to try to read Jim's mind. I think I would almost take a step from the idea that he's a prognosticator trying to set up things for the next 15 years. He's, uh, he buries himself in his work, and so does everyone there. It's one of the reasons I adored working there, is it sort of teaches you a different way to think about things. But one of the biggest is, you know, what he's actually doing, which is world building. He's not so much going in to make a series of movies. And that's not how he thinks about what he does. He's making a world. And things think about things have to be thought about in that way, in a, a systemic, ecosystem-based way, which is very Avatar in and of itself. But, uh, you know, when they're doing Avatar Land, thinking about all of that stuff, it's, it's all of these things that I think for years I watched, you know, everyone do. And as I started, you know, you know, making little funny VR prototypes and messing around with that, I started realizing that's essentially what VR is. We're not trying to put someone in a movie that I'm controlling. We're also not trying to put someone in a game where I only give them two options. What we're doing is we're recontextualizing the person. I'm taking you right now at your age at this moment in time, and I'm putting a headset on you, and you're going in and becoming John Wick. You're not losing the memories of however many years you've been on this earth. You're not losing the memories of your time in a... Uh, whether it's at a gun shop or gun show or uh, getting mugged or whatever it is, you have all of your points of reference you're bringing to this experience. My job is to lay a world out for you where you're able to play inside of it and you're able to see what you're able to do in that world. I'm able to go, oh, Brooks is the type of person who do X and I can see if I can get away with that. And I'm able to play. And that is really the power of VR to us. Okay, and so, but let's... I want to get away maybe a little bit from the entertainment and talk about some of the other things that people are trying to do with VR in terms mm -hmm. of education, uh, social functions. Do you view these areas as kind of maybe not as, uh, I don't know, uh, friendly, VR friendly or, or, or things that will necessarily work in VR? I mean... Like, for instance, like teaching classes in VR I, or, or Facebook in VR. Not necessarily Facebook itself, but just social networking. Right. I love this, the stuff reality. that came out today. I, I think VR has a million things that we need to try in it before we can say what it does and doesn't do. The, the one thing we do know that it does is it transports people. So it's a, the very unique thing. It's removing you from your context and putting you somewhere new. Everyone agrees for that. The question is what it means when we give them that new context, when we put them in that. Are we giving them a passive experience or an interactive, can we do education, can we do training, can we do all these things? The answer is, of course, yes. It's about how we do it and how we create these things that matters. So you think the sky's the limit, basically? I do. So if I tell you, I think, you know, in five years, there will be a bunch of, I don't know, English teachers, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know about five years. But, yeah, I think, I think with education, uh, let's just take an example, the ability for us uh, I grew up with slideshows in school where <laughs> they actually had slideshows or really, really terrible, like eight millimeter video. They flap, 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 flap as it, as it watched. And it was, here's the story of the blah, blah, blah fish mm -hmm. or whatever. It was mind numbingly boring. 
one of the big reasons is because I was in Denver. I couldn't go down to the bayou to see how an alligator lived. I couldn't go out to the reef to see how coral lived. Uh, however, the ability for me to actually take a child and put them in a situation like that and have them see it up front, it changes how a person internalizes information. Uh, if we were to take art, uh, Rothko is one of my favorite artists, and he wasn't until I saw one of his pieces. If you see his pieces in, say, an art book, don't get it, because they look, they're like two inches tall in the art book. Sometimes they're eight inches tall if they cover the whole page, and it's two colors kind of blended. And you're like, okay, interesting. Apparently that's art. Then when you see them in person, you're able to take in, by being just a foot away, the texture, the way every brushstroke was laid, uh, the depth of every movement, how they were blended, where the blends happened, and it's almost overwhelming because the damn thing's fucking 15 feet tall. It's massive. And so you're just confronted with this immense effort by one man. And it's I, I found it very overcoming. That kind of thing can be appreciated in VR in a way that we can't appreciate it literally in any other way, uh, except being there in person. And again, uh, you're welcome to grow up in a town or an area that doesn't have access to an art museum or a natural history museum or the train museum or the Smithsonian or space museum or whatever it may be. There's literally most people don't have access to one of those things. They may have a planetarium. They may have a natural history museum in their big city nearby, but that's their limit. So my ability to, you know, toss a couple of these pods down and children can go in, people can go in and really experience something truly different is pretty amazing. Now, just going back to the old argument about video games and violence. Yes. I thought about that when I was playing John Wick. And this may be slightly controversial, you know, uh, territory. But I've been in a ton of different, you know, aside from John Wick, I've been in a bunch of different VR environments, fighting, shooting, you know, things where you kind of have to get into character. You have to become someone else and you have to kind of take on this persona. I mean, do you, do you think it's basically the same kind of uh, metric as someone playing a 2D game and it won't necessarily translate? Or do you think, I mean, because the, the, the visceral kind of connection to some of these VR experiences, I, I feel like, takes us to maybe another level. I mean, Yeah, well, how I, how I tend to look at it is what simulators are used for in the Army. Hmm. Uh they, they do this, these things where they get guys to go to Afghanistan and learn how to handle families and all these things. You don't see a lot of, uh, you're going to kill your first person in VR for us, do it here, soldier. Right. It's, it's the training and everything right. like that, but it doesn't, it's not the thing that makes them or trains them to be a killer. That's right. not the setup. Uh, it's not deadening them that way. I tend to think of it that way. I, I do believe these things have an emotional impact, though, so... I leave it up to f smarter people than me to figure that out. Uh, sociologists, technologists, brilliant, brilliant people out there are doing studies and trying to figure it out. Um, I believe games can have a profound impact on people. I believe interactive can have a profound impact on people. Uh, from how we tell stories to how we discover things about ourselves to how we play, all of that is extremely important. And as we start really figuring out that gap where people are diving into the worlds, it's it's a really useful thing for us to contemplate. Have you ever met anyone in VR? Yes. I played um, uh, Modbox and Rec Room. Oh, you've played Rec Room? Yeah. What, what, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Rec Room, because uh, I'm, I'm a heavy right. Rec Room user. So Rec Room is, uh, when people ask me, and everyone asks, because 
people are jaded by VR. They're like, what's the great thing in VR? And I'm like, actually, one of my favorite moments is high-fiving. It always sounds yeah, stupid. Yeah, it's yeah. the first time I high-five went like that. That is, uh, it's specifically that was a moment. Like, the rest of it's fun. I'm not knocking the rest. The rest is fun. But that was a unique, weird moment the first time I did that. And it's not less weird or less unique since then, but it was just like this moment like, Oh, that was, that was another dude. Like it's, it's just a weird feeling. Um, I, I, I love record and I think there's a lot of power in the social side of VR and what we have the ability to, you know, play together and do all these things. Uh, it's one of the reasons, again, we're in location based, you know, the, the setup uh, we love to talk about is these uh, room scale experiences. Uh, but you know, for us, we have the same dream as everyone else. How do we really let people play together who couldn't be? Okay, well, you know, back to that point, if I were to, you know, write a fake history, uh, you know, alternate history of Star Trek, I, I would say that this is the office or the building where the holodeck was born, you know, many years ago before... Gene Roddenberry's rolling over in his grave. Yeah, no, but no, so, I mean, because this is effectively, you know, what is going on with the Starbreeze headset, with the IMAX experience. That's effectively, like, our first baby steps in that direction. But this leads me to someplace else that kind of, I feel, conflicts with the whole AR kind of future you outlined, which is the Matrix. We always come back to this. The Matrix... From what I can see, to, to get that kind of, that level of immersion, that level of verisimilitude, you know, where it's one-to-one -one and it really looks like you're yep. in this world, like, it seems like you would need to be jacked in to a system to, uh, you know, to achieve that as opposed to, you know, walk around, you know, the, the regular world. So do you think, like, that Matrix view is kind of maybe just move, the stuff of movies? Because, I, I mean, it's, I know a lot of people who think we're moving there and, and that we'll, we'll get there. Um, I think we'll get there I, at some point. Uh, we're starting to see diminishing returns on graphics pretty quickly. But I think the other side that uh, the biggest lesson that we can take for VR that I would say games have learned some time ago is graphics only matter so far that uh, a lot of people can play games with really ugly graphics that have wonderful interactions. Well, Rec Room's a great example. Rec Room yeah. is it? Rec Room's a great example. I'd go Angry Birds being another example right. of that. It's uh, it's it's pretty and it's everything, but it's hardly realistic. And I think uh, as we start, you know, Mario is another good example, actually. You know, some of the biggest games of all time are very much about stylized worlds. And as we play and we let people get transported to another planet or to another plane of existence or another dimension, I'm no longer Rick C-137, I'm Rick 1C-38. C-138. I think there's a lot of ability for us to really play with you know, what these things mean and how, how we exist inside of these worlds. Uh, it becomes quickly more like imagination than the Matrix. Uh, but the Matrix is down the road, a long time down the road, but down the road. All right. And since we're uh, in science fiction territory, I have to ask you about Elon Musk. You told me you, you know, you're, you, you're aware of his philosophy and all that. But I mean, this whole idea of a simulated university talks about, I mean, you're in the industry, you create these worlds, you're, you've worked with, you know, Jim Cameron and all this world building stuff. I mean, it, it, is this even remotely in your mind as a, as a lover of science fiction, you know, and someone, but also, you know, who works in this space? Is that even remotely a possibility in I, your mind? I absolutely adore the romantic concept that, uh, that reality is you know, how to, how does Bill Hicks put it? Like, and really that's the same concept. Uh, 
Reality is light and energy brought to a slow vibration, experiencing itself subjectively. Ooh, it's okay. Not a bad line. Okay. Also, probably way too many mushrooms and LSD led to that line. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I, I love those romantic notions. Uh, and I think that's perfectly fine for him to believe. I don't really care, personally. I, I don't think it's, it's... It's not top of my list of things that I'm uh, struggling with today. So, but you don't, so, so you don't think it's, it's even, it's, no, no, I think it's, it's the kind of stuff that, you know, philosophers have been talking about what's real and what's not for, for many, many years, right. whether you're a realist, a Marxist, whatever, they've got many, many reasons uh, why it's not necessarily true. Uh, well, there, lots of very, very smart people have gone over this. Well, I mean, but to wrap up, the reason I ask that is because as, you know, computing power increases and we, you know, develop AI, do you ever think we'll reach a point where there will be. Uh, perhaps software beings who look, you know, up in the virtual sky and wonder, you know, where it all ends. I think androids will dream of electric sheep someday. Yes. Okay. I, I, I think all of that stuff is, we're in a really fascinating time right now across the board. Uh, art is starting to get to the point where it's, uh, one, one of my favorite, I've spent a lot of time, uh, wasted a lot of time, you know, pretending that I'm some kind of expert on literature and you know, lit crit and all of these ways of thinking and philosophy and psychoanalysis. I love reading all this stuff for fun. Um, but you know, for me, the, the excitement of watching, uh, art over time change from, uh, something so defined literally by its mediation. Uh, I see a painting. My mediation is the paint. I have mediated by these things. I'm mediated by television or the screen or I'm mediated by controllers, all of these things to suddenly move to a art form that uh, is as unmediated as anything has ever been. It's I'm in there. The closest it comes is the screen, but I'm also in control of the screen. So what what's the what's what's the mediation there? It's an amazing chance for us to really play inside of people's brains with their world, with their natural core responses, their fears, their loves, their sadnesses. Oh, I want to, I really want to play with the sadnesses in, in VR. <laughs> as awful as that is, I, I think right. it's a powerful medium. Right. And if that's the case of where we are right now, and that's just on the art side, we're at, you know, brave new worlds there. Across the board, we're seeing all of these things start shifting. If, the day we are able to, uh, what's the Warren Spector line? Uh, Warren Spector is a brilliant game designer. And I think I, I may be misquoting him. But he said his ultimate thing someday would be to just perfectly simulate one city block. And he thinks that's the day we can do that is his dream. Uh, forgive me if I'm misquoting you, Warren. Okay. Um, but it's that, that kind of thing is, you know, the moment we start having machine learning and these AI things and the realism of visuals and true particle physics and all of these amazing things that are starting to happen in CG and research and all this stuff across the board, we'll get there. And that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Okay. So back to reality. So yes. the next step for Starbreeze, yes. we have, I think there's another IMAX facility coming to New York and another coming to LA. They've got a, they've got a, a bunch of them coming by the end of this year. And then we've got other places and there's a lot of star VR that's going to be out there. And we've got experiences we're going to be announcing in the coming weeks and months, uh, you know, fun stuff for literally everyone. So if we don't hit you right away, uh, pay attention a little bit. Send us a note. We'll try to get you next. Uh, we, we have a very broad set of experiences. Thank you so sure. much for, for joining us. 
This has been the Mars Magazine Podcast. Signing off from L.A., I'm looking at Hollywood Hills, the Hollywood sign, and uh, the real version. But um, in a couple hours from now, I'm going to jack into VR and uh, maybe take a look at the virtual world. See, version. you only think it's the real version. Well, there you go. You're still there you in go. the headset. Yeah, I don't know. This, this could be that building in the <laughs> Matrix, and uh, Agent Smith could be waiting outside. And that was Brooks Brown from Star Breeze, or Star Breeze and the Star VR headset. I thank him again for talking to us and for kind of opening the kimono, letting us know like exactly what was on his mind with regard to everything VR, AR, and the industry in general. Someone who worked with James Cameron on, you know, a film like Avatar that is possibly the biggest film ever to, you know, just devote virtual resources or, or resources to, to developing a virtual world. Someone who worked in that environment on that project. I think he's well suited to kind of give us a glimpse into the future. So, again, thank you to Brooks Brown for talking to us. This has been the Mars Magazine podcast. My name is Adario Strange. You can keep up with what we're doing on Twitter at twitter.com slash Mars Magazine. And with that, we will see you in the future. Mm-hmm.